Good morning, Christ Central. Happy Palm Sunday. My name is Gabby Everett, and I'm in the Chantilly um, community group, and I have the privilege of reading God's word with you this morning. Um, so we will be reading from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11 in the New Living Translation. Please read with me. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, as he, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and, all, and the people all shouted around him, and they were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. I think this is on, right? Is it on? All right. Good morning, Christ Central Church. My name is Josh Kim. I'm assistant pastor here. We're glad that you could join us as you have heard on Palm Sunday, uh, where Jesus enters into the town of Jerusalem on his path towards the cross. And this text that we read beautifully outlines and illustrates what that looks like for us today as we anticipate the coming of Good Friday. And we pray that you could join us on Good Friday with our sister church, Hope, where we gather to worship the Lord together. And on Easter Sunday, I just want to give you a quick glimpse of what's going to happen next Sunday. We have, I believe, three or four babies to be baptized. We have adult baptism planned as well, and we're excited to hear uh, God's Word preached next Sunday. So please do sign up and join us next Sunday as we anticipate the, the resurrected Lord, our Savior that has risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. Amen. But today marks the beginning of what we call a Palm Sunday, uh, the Passion Week. And Palm Sunday indicates uh, the beginning of this week where Jesus bears the cross for us on his path towards the cross. And as we read today, it is the day when the palm branches are out. And, uh, and the people are lining up in the street as Jesus is entering to Jerusalem, crying out, the, the Hosanna is the son of David. And this is the day they celebrated Jesus entering into Jerusalem. A famed, and I know I think a lot of people you know this already, Tony Awards winning musical, Hamilton, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda, is a beautiful story of Alexander Hamilton one of the founding fathers of our nation. One of my favorite songs in the musical is titled, The Right-Hand Man. In it, the song introduces 
General Washington, George Washington, in the heat of the battle of the American Revolutionary War. And those who watch the musical, either in person, if you have the privilege of doing that, or I think many of us watched it, on Disney Plus when it was released during the pandemic and the onset of the pandemic, knows how the song goes. I'm not going to sing that for you as much as I want to, because I realize I'm not gifted like that. God has not gifted me with musical talents. But there's much hype that gets built up on this introduction of this great war hero, the hero who is going to come and change the tide of the war, whose job is to come and conquer, to lead this army against the insurmountable odds. And he gets introduced with this phrase, here comes the general. Right? I know some of you want to sing it, right? Here comes the general, and the song goes something like this. It's ladies, ladies and gentlemen. And the lyric goes, here comes the general, the moment you've been waiting for. Here comes the general, the pride of Mount Vernon. And here comes the general, George Washington. And this guy comes in, and everyone's like pumped, right? Because something is about to happen. Here comes the general who is ready for the battle. Here comes the general signaling that finally the tide is turning and the battle can be won ahead. Church, today you and I are also introduced to the greatest general on the eve of the greatest battle that you and I will ever be part of. This week signifies one of the most important weeks in the lives of those who follow Christ. The culmination of Jesus' ministry on earth. And don't let the Easter bunny and the fuzzy feelings of the warm April air fool you. But this week marks the week of the intense battle. In fact, the Palm Sunday is a war cry for the battle week that is ahead. What kind of battle, you say? The battle is none other than battle for your souls. The Bible doesn't shy away from the language of war and spiritual warfare when it comes to our spiritual journey. And I know that right now in our day today, there's a physical war that is going on in Ukraine. And please know that scripture is against any violence and war that's based on human greed and power. We rightly condemn that war. And that's very clear. Because God is against sin. Period. So if you think about it, all the more so, God must declare war a battle against sin itself. And none more so clear than this week, on Jesus' way towards the cross, do we hear the battle cry of our Savior. Spiritual battle is on the horizon, church. And our souls are at stake. You and our eternity is at stake this week. And the question for us is, are you, so-called Christians today, are aware of the battle that is ahead? Martin Luther, a famous reformer who often talked about the spiritual warfare, once said this to those who follow Christ. He said, cultivate the habit of falling asleep with the Lord's prayer on your lips Every evening, not Netflix, when you go to bed, and again, every morning when you get up, and in the, if occasion and place and the time permits, pray before you do anything else. In this way, you get ahead of the devil 
by surprise and without warning. Whether you're ready for not, before he catches up with you and makes you wait. For it is better to pray now. And when you're half ready, then later when you're not ready at all. Here Martin Luther is saying, get ready. Get ready. Be on guard in season and out of season. Not just this week, but all of our lives. But especially this week, I would say, be on guard, church. Get ready for that battle. Church, be on the watch for the temptation, the whispers of Satan, and how easily he manipulates one of the most important weeks of Christianity. He ties it with the days off, with the rest of the business, to make us fall slumber into thinking that this is, in fact, a spring break week for us, a vacation at that. He lures us into letting our guards down, let this week go by without giving a pause, nor even importance of wanting and waiting for this Good Friday to arrive. We are so consumed by perhaps the rest, comfort, and the joys that we forget that this week signifies Christ crucified, the heart of Christianity. After it has worked for centuries, has it not? To lure many Christians to miss it, many around you will do so anyways. But as we think about this passage in particular today, after all, if you have your Bibles, when you open it, the bold headings put in by the people, not actually to God, but put in by the people, it says triumphal entry, isn't it? We know this text as a triumphal entry. And you know what triumphal entry meant? It meant a war hero coming to the city. Have you considered what that means for you and I this week? Have you ever wondered why this entry resembles so much of the Roman general's entry into the city? Oh, this to indicate a type of the battle that is to come ahead. But make no mistake about it, church. This week also marks the beginning of God's invitation for you and I to walk with Him, to journey with Him on the battle towards the cross where Jesus is violently crucified. And herein lies the warning and a calling from this text. A warning that says, don't fall asleep this week in the rest and more comfort that you and I desire. And the call for us to follow our king, our general, who comes to battle for our soul. Here comes the general. So as we do this, let's learn more about who this general is, shall we? Who is this general that's calling us to fight this week? Who's calling us to the battle lines this week? Who is this general for us? And first thing we actually see is that this general is pretty underwhelming an underwhelming general that leads us from the front. In the song, Right Hand Men, as we talked about, with the line, here comes the general, is used to introduce George Washington, the general, with a bang. The general who will take us to the promised land. The general who will bring a swift victory. But in reality, when George Washington is introduced, the lyrics that follow the song go something like this. Outgunned. What? Outmanned. What? Outnumbered and outplanned. If you know anything about the battle, all four of those things means you're doomed. 
right? <laughs> it's not like you're going to have superior weapons, numbers, or strategy. Everything goes against you. And in fact, this general, as we anticipated, looking forward to, General George Washington doesn't actually bring swift victory to the American Revolutionary War, does he? It takes another seven years, they say, the history tells us, before the war turns its tide. And only in the Valley Forge was General Washington finally validated with his leadership in readying the troops of the battle. And even the famous Battle of the Valley Forge was actually lost to the British. Do you know that? Underwhelming general upon the initial glance. George Washington was at best. Our general today, Jesus, perhaps, when you look at him initially, looks quite underwhelming. In many ways, on his entry, on your initial entry to the city, he seems very underwhelming based on the world's standards. Initially, though, it sounds very promising. Here comes Jesus, the son of David, the king of Israel. Verse 1 says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. We see this large crowd that gathers around them. Matthew doesn't really tell us that Jesus reveals himself to the crowd. It's not like disciples are going around saying, Okay, get ready, guys. Get ready. Here comes the general. Get ready. Let's get ready for this battle. Actually, Matthew tells us he doesn't do that. He actually retreats away from the crowd and spending time with his closest people, the disciples, before coming to Jerusalem, teaching them about the kingdom of God to select few. So where does this crowd come from? Certainly it wasn't Jesus nor the disciples that gathered them. Upon closer examination of the context, we notice that this is a Passover time. So the crowd that was gathered was some that came up to the festival during the customary at the time, However, what we realize is what people got excited about, rallied around Jesus, was something else. And we got a hint of that as we look at where Jesus was preparing himself to enter to Jerusalem. And the town is called Bethpage. We don't know exactly where Bethpage is located in, but based on the other parts of the gospel stories, mainly in Mark and Luke, we could incur that this is somewhere near Bethany. And if you're a careful follower of the gospel narrative, Bethany, especially in Gospel of John, Bethany is where Lazarus was raised from the tomb. You see, for many, not all, but many, Jesus was a miracle worker that brought out curiosity. Who is this person? They could even raise a person from the dead. So there's this excitement that gathers around. This person is going to do something amazing for us. Right? This miracle work is going to do something amazing. They're excited about it. They gather around it. But this miracle worker that comes to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, as we heard from our music director, Corey, a mere few days later, dies as a condemned criminal on the cross, where the chief priests, scribes, and elders mocked him by saying, he saves others, but he can't save himself. By the standards of what the world expected, Someone who could change your life overnight? No. He was underwhelming at best. What about the vehicle that this general rides on entering the city? 
Verse 2 says, go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its coat beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. You see, this is out of norm of what people expected of the conquering hero. The context of the gospel is in the Roman times. And in the ancient Near East, as history tells us, if you're expecting a conquering hero, a general, a famed miracle worker who could raise the dead to come into oppressed nation as a national hope, you expect one to arrive in style. People that gather expecting a conquering hero, what they would have expected is a magnificent war horse. As you see in this picture, this is a typical of what happened. A conquering hero enters into the city with much fanfare. He would have marched proudly in front of a vast army, displaying his power as if to say there's no contest. I have come to conquer and to bring you victory for us all. But a donkey? A lowly animal more associated with the commoners. We often praise the heroes, praise the leaders because they are so not like us. We want someone that's greater than us to do something awesome. But this donkey rider looks more like us. He is going to do something? Again, by the standards of what the world expected, someone who can win, display power and authority, he comes awfully short of their expectation, underwhelming at best. So again, if you're expecting this Jesus to be a miracle worker, to take away your problems overnight, to give your best life today, this general is going to be underwhelming. Or if you're expecting this king, by being on this general side, you will be on the winning side, your best life today, you are stuck with the donkey rider, mm. underwhelming at best. Mm. And before we shake our heads and say, well, 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 that's not us. We're Christians after all, right? <laughs> but let's be honest, church. Miracles have different names, don't they? Yes. It may not be raising of the dead, but it may be called health, wealth, prosperity. Believe in Jesus, then you will be financially secure. Sign me up for that one, right? Believe in Jesus, then your family will be healthy. Sign me up for that one. Believe in Jesus, then acceptance letter from the job or college is coming today. Sign me up for that one. Believe in Jesus, then you'll get the A++, filling the blank. Jesus is mere genie in the bottle. Or as my friends shared last Monday, dude, if the UNC wins tonight, there may be revival in your church the next day. <laughs> right? Does not happen. So, or perhaps we like Jesus as long as it doesn't cost us something. Right? It doesn't hinder our comfort. As long as I am comfortable, I get to enjoy my vacation plans, not sacrifice to give, live, lower ourselves, to lose ourselves, die to myself, be uncomfortable in a place where people don't come up and talk to you? No way. That's not what I signed up for in a church. Everything's got to cater to my needs. If that's the type of the general that you signed up for, church, this underwhelming general will disappoint us. But here is why this is actually a good news for those who follow him. The reason why this underwhelming general coming on the back of a donkey is actually a good news for us 
the gospel truth for us. Because if actually Jesus came as a typical war hero, like this, coming with power and authority, a new king who is here, his enemies tremble as he will judge once and for all. If he came like that, it is actually a terrible news for you and I. You know why? Because the biggest enemy Jesus came to fight was not the Romans. It was not any human army that he came to fight against. You know who Jesus came to fight and overcome? Sin. And who is on the side of sin before Jesus comes? Me. You. Us. Humanity. So if Jesus came with the rightful authority, with the power to judge sin, that meant all of us stood as his enemies. We should be trampling with fear because he's come to conquer us. But rather, he comes to conquer death and sin. And we're on the opposite side. So the good news is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets of Isaiah and Zechariah in Isaiah 56, 7 and Zechariah 9, 9, that this king, this general, comes to fulfill the promise of the Messiah who will take away the sins of the world. The verse 4 says, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that told the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Rather than taking his rightful place as a king to rule, First, he humbles himself. Humble? Yes. Humbles to the point of death on the cross. Why? To be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The seemingly underwhelming general is going to give up his life so that he could gain his enemies. That means you and I, rescued out of sin and death once and for all, and Jesus' weapon of choice is peace, sacrifice, death, so you and I may live. And this underwhelming general in the eyes of the world is calling his followers to follow his path this week, to carry out our own battle in the weapons of humility and peace and follow after the general that marks that path for us. Church, this battle highlights the marginalized. This battle highlights caring for the widows and the orphans. This battle stands with those whose voices are silenced, who are persecuted and despised. Mm -hmm. This battle requires those who follow the general to lose their life so they could gain it. Considering others better than ourselves, dying to one's desires and one's hopes, losing oneself so that others may live, leaning in with one another, sacrificing, speaking the truth in love, ultimately to the point of taking the cross on our back. This is the battle cry of our general. Church, this is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? The good news of Jesus Christ. This week's battle cry, highlighting what it means to follow Christ, to follow after him, is to see our Savior who came to die on the cross for our sins and who calls his followers to take the same path after him. The battle lines are drawn this week. He may seem underwhelming in his appearance at best, in his approach, especially when you compare him to the ways of the world. But make no mistake about it. Church, here comes the general. 
Here comes the general who will conquer sin and death. But that's not the only picture he paints for us this morning. As you follow this general into the battle, in his path towards humility and peace, you also soon realize that he is the overcoming general of our souls. Not only is he underwhelming general, but overcoming general for our souls. In another one of the songs of Hamilton's musical, it's titled Guns and Ships. In it, we're introduced to yet another key figure that fights in the Revolutionary War. Again, I wish I could rap for you, but I realized I was not gifted uh, back in high school when I tried my best. But the Guns and Ships goes something like this. It says, how does a ragtag volunteer army in need of a shower somehow defeat a global superpower? How do we emerge victorious from the quagmire? Leave the battlefield waving Betsy Ross flag higher. Yo, it turns out we have a secret weapon, an immigrant you know and love who is unafraid to step in is constantly confusing, confounding the British henchmen. Everyone, give it up for America's favorite fighting Frenchman, Lafayette, right? In fact, history tells us, Giver du Montier, Marquis de Lafayette. Of course, that's not, that doesn't get into the songs, right? Kind of ruins the flow. Uh, better known as Marquis de Lafayette, or simply Lafayette, does play a significant role in the battle. History tells us that Lafayette served as a major general in the Continental Army under George Washington. Wounded during the Battle of Brandywine, he still managed to organize a successful retreat. He served with distinction in the Battle of Rhode Island. In the middle of the war, he returned to France to negotiate increased French support, and by his tactical genius, the war turns on its head, and the general overcomes the insurmountable odds for the American side. The overcoming general helps to overturn the tides of the war. When we see Christ in this text, we see a similar general that overcomes insurmountable odds. As Jesus enters the streets, people are lining up and shouting. Verse 8 says, Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And the others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession. The people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise him in the highest heavens. And the entire city of Jerusalem was in uproar as he entered and asked, Who is this? Who is this Jesus? And why are pilgrims, the crowds, shouting his name? And this particular crowd that gathered declared this. The crowd replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They have meant prophet like Moses, who was to rise in the last time and be God's messenger. In fact, this thought alone also saved Jesus from temporarily being arrested in verse 46 of this same chapter. But the question for us is, is that all? Is that your answer as well? Is that all that there is? That he's just mere prophet who brings the message? You know, disciples knew better. 
I hope you and I know better than that this morning as well, because verse 11 is the wrong answer. Jesus on this Sunday, church, enters the streets filled with garments, with praises. Jesus, less than a week later, also walks the street. This time on the place towards Golgotha, not on donkey's back, but stripped naked, mocked, spit at, whipped, suffering. The noise of the praise faded and the crowd is found no more. Rather, a different crowd emerges who shouts, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. This Jesus we see in Matthew's gospel, this general that we see is in fact the cross carrier. The general who leads us to the battle is the one who will overcome the battle, the fight of our souls with the cross on his back, who proclaims the peace on the back of the donkey, a miracle worker. But the greatest miracle of them all is reconciling mankind to God through death on the cross. Church, here is our general our king who overcomes our sinful hearts, who has power to change lives by going to the cross for us so we can join him in the battle, so we can be free from the lies of our enemies, so you and I can be freely repent, see our wickedness, our fallenness, so we can stop believing in the lies that apart from Christ that we could live, but rather so we could see Christ clearly as he is and renewed and rebirthed so that we could follow our king freely. This is the path of the cross that tells us it is not a loss, but rather victory for us to have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to be changed so you and I could be truly free, free to obey, free to love, free to serve the God we love. This is the general that overcomes our hearts on this Palm Sunday. And church, what we must wrestle with this morning as you get ready for the battle ahead is who is this general to you? Are you following this general to the battlefield? Or is he merely a disappointing, underwhelming general have you experienced the powerful overcoming of your sin and death once and for all? If that is the case, if you truly declare that this is the king, this is the general that you want to follow, then doesn't this week mean the world to you? Aren't you in anticipation with joy, but also anticipation of the suffering that is to come ahead? If you are truly declaring that he is my Lord and my Savior, as disciples declare it when Christ is resurrected again, if you declare to the world that I preach Christ crucified, then doesn't this week mean the world to you? Doesn't this week mean that this is the embodiment of the life that you are called to live? The one who not only overcomes our failures, but one who has hope for you and I to overcome, then don't you, with the palms in your hands, waving in anticipation of the power of God to display on the cross, for us to point to the cross and say, everyone, look at this Savior. Look at this general. This week, more than any other week, highlights he is the hope of the world. Mm -hmm. 
Shouldn't we, as followers of Christ this week, get ready, be pumped in anticipation of the battle for our souls, battle for our neighbor's souls, battle for the souls that are at stake this week, more than anyone else in the world today? And as I was anticipating, uh, not only anticipating, but as I was temporarily moderating our meeting last week, our congregation meeting, and if you weren't there, we uh, had an official meeting of dis- dissolution of our relationship with our pastor, Brown, our founding pastor. And some of you know, and most of us know now, that our senior pastor will be taking a call to plant a church in uh, southeast Atlanta in coming month. And I was temporarily moderating the meeting. And along with many of us, I realized more and more that I'm going to miss our our brother, our pastor, our shepherd, a lot. And I'm glad that he's not here today because no offense to Pastor Brown, but I also realize I'm going to miss somebody else a lot more than him. Um, I realize I'm going to miss our first lady, Kelly Brown. Especially her wisdom and her voice in my life, in fact, in all of our lives here at the church. As a fellow church planter and someone that has sacrificed many years to build this church. I remember one time talking to Kelly about our Sunday service and our purpose in gathering on Sundays. And she said something to me that lingers with me to this day for a long time. And oftentimes we talk about as a staff about how the trend of the today's worship service wants the many people that come to worship services like this want to leave the church feeling uplifted. Right? Many of us come to Sunday service after a long, hard week. Many want to feel uplifted, enlightened even. Feel good about coming on Sunday. And they want to leave happy with something in their hands to say, well, this was a good day out of a long week. And there's something good about that. And I hope you feel uplifted as well. But in discussing this, as often... As always, our first lady looked at me and said, Pastor, Pastor. When we come on Sunday, it's not just merely wanting to feel better about ourselves. I don't need that. You don't need that. They don't need that. But what you and I must anticipate is transformation. What you and I got to expect is transformation of our hearts. Changes to occur. And if you want that, she said, let's sing some more. Let's forget about the long worship times. Let's forget about the children's ministry running longer. Yeah. He said, what we anticipate is transformation of our hearts and anticipation for God to show up. Echoing her sentiments, Pastor Theologian John Mark Homer writes in his book, Live No Lies, says this, many followers of Jesus don't yet realize that the cross isn't just something Jesus did for us. It's also something we do with him. Even in church traditions with a high value of the cross, their interpretation of Jesus' death on the cross is often more transactional than transformational. Jesus didn't die so that we don't have to. He died to teach us how to die, how to follow him through death and into life. 
Church, let that sink in for a second. Do you believe that? Or do you merely think this week is transactional? Thank you, God, for dying on the cross for my sins so I don't have to. Thank you, God, for sacrificing all that so I don't have to. Thank you, God, for doing all these great things for us so that I could take breaks and rest, sit on the sidelines. Or do you realize it is transformational that he calls you to follow him and make no mistake about it? This story indicates that for us, the general that overcomes our sin overcomes our tendency to follow after the lies of this world, promote feel-good Christianity, the miracle-chasing, power-grabbing, false ideology that places others beneath us. Battle is against the one who whispers this false idolatry. And our goal is to follow the general who overcomes, who transforms us so that you can, in return, follow him into the battle. Church, This general demands transformation because he makes that possible for us. The radical change so you and I may be followers that are ready for the battle ahead to combat the lies of the enemy, to preach the gospel of Jesus crucified and also taking our cross on our back, meaning putting to death our sinful ways to follow the general into the lines of the battle. So that this week, we ought to follow our overcoming general with our lives in anticipation and expectation the transformation of our lives will happen. We we ought to come with the hopes, with anticipation of God to show up, God to transform, and God to lead us into the battle. Laying aside the sin that easily entangles training like a boxer, not beating the air, running the race marked out for us until we see the glorious risen Savior face to face. Church, did you merely think that was for them? This is for you. Do you merely think it was a suggestion? It's a command of the Lord. Do you merely think it was a nice Sunday message package so that you could go home feeling good about yourself? Absolutely not. The Word of God is living and active. It could transform our lives. Do you believe that? Are you of God's word? Are you of the people that believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you with the Savior? Oh, magnificent Savior, who calls us to this highest calling for every single follower to follow this week. So how do we go to the battle this week? Church, saturate yourself with the word of the Lord. Overcome lies of the world that whispers only power, miracles, and selfishness with the truth that will set you free. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Saturate yourself with the word of the Lord. Saturate yourself in prayer in quiet meditation, in loud moanings, in cries of desperation, to renew your mind, not just fill your schedules with busyness, sightseeing, breaks and rest, but as Ephesians 6, 18 reminds us, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Church, saturate yourself with fasting, 
fast away from things that hinder. Some of you, it may be food this week. Some of you, it may be things that easily takes your heart and time, mind away. As you empty away, may be filled with the Lord, not just indulgence, but limitless consumption of our Savior. But more than anything else, surround yourself with fellow soldiers of God's army. I was told when I first moved to the South that the Easter is a big family gathering day, right? Don't do anything on Easter Sunday because everyone's got the brunch. Don't do everything on Easter Sunday because so-and-so is coming over for a big Easter dinner. We got to make room for that, for sure. That's great. But more so this week, church, this Easter is about God's family. We got to make a room for that in our plans. So gather on Good Friday. Mark your calendars. Gather in your community groups. Gather on Resurrection Sunday. Remember, sing, repent, recommit, follow, and declare our general who leads us to battle. Don't neglect to meet one another as in habits of some, as Hebrew writer says, but encouraging one another as all the more as you see the day that is drawing near. Church, will you be ready this week with me? Will you battle with me this week? Will you battle against the sin's whispers? Will you be ready to battle against Satan's whispers? Will you battle for your soul? Will you battle with our Savior? Will you anticipate in transformational life the cross of Christ will bring to us this week? And speaking of songs, reformer Martin Luther was a well-known lover of songs and often used the songs of worship in his battle in the spiritual warfare. He said of the songs, music is a fair and lovely gift of God, which has often wakened and moved me to the joy of preaching. Music drives away the devil and makes people happy. Next, after theology, I give music the highest place and the greatest honor. Here was a man who not only loved the music, but wrote many songs that we often sing to this day. And in staying with the lyrics of the song, I want to share one of the songs that reformer Martin Luther wrote that is one of the most famous and one of the most powerful, I believe. And in researching this song, I also found an interesting tidbit about this song. The song is titled, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And there are many theories of how this song is written, but many historians say that most likely that this song was written in October of 1527, just as the bubonic plague was approaching. How appropriate for us in the midst of the pandemic as we think about this song that calls us to the battle ahead. Let me read the lyrics for you as you meditate upon them. A mighty fortress is our God, he says. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with a cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Verse 2, did we in our own strengths confide, 
Our striving will be you losing. We're not the right men on our side, the men of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. The Lord Sabbath, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rays we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little, world, one little word shall fail him. And verse 4 says, That word, capital W, above all earthly powers, no things to them abideth, the spirit and the gifts are ours. Through him who with us sideth, let goods and cringes go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Church, this is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Here comes the general, the general who is our mighty fortress, who rise out to the battle on our behalf with victory on hand, who calls us to follow him. He is our victorious general. May we celebrate and remember him this week. Let's pray, Christ Central. Church, pray with me, shall you? As you close your eyes, as you meditate upon the, the Savior who calls us, as we sing Hosanna, praise God for the Son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, praise God in his heaven, highest in heavens. But we remember the gospel call that he calls us to follow. Father, that's our prayer this week. That's our prayer this, this day, on this Palm Sunday, as our general rise into the battle, as our general marks the path for us towards the cross with the cross on his back, not merely as transactional means of grace, but transformational, expectational power of the gospel. May we be people as we anticipate the coming of our Lord and Savior, as we anticipate the suffering on the cross, as we celebrate the Good Friday where Son of God comes to give his life to take away the sins of the world, as we anticipate the Resurrection Sunday where the tomb is empty and Christ declares his victory over sin and death once and for all. Father, we pray with our anticipation, with our hope, this week, that your people, your church will gather, not merely look to a spring break, not merely looking for the Easter bunny, not merely just looking for the eggs that gives us a temporary relief from our pain, but look to our Savior who has power to transform our lives, who calls to the battlefronts, who rise to fight for our soul. May this week be the testimonial the testimonies of your people praising our Savior, declaring the tomb is empty, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. May that be true of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.